Lots of righteousness tends to belong So keep your love on, on Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. In each episode, we learn how to simply walk with God in all His awesome love, incredible power, and authority. It's straightforward, and it's straight from the Word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org. That includes free Bible studies and an amazing free video series, all there to answer your questions, build your faith, and of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us by going to getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode here, so let's go. Let it shine bright, 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 keep your love. So what was that new thing and why did it have to come into play? Why did God have to bring and create a new thing on the face of the earth? He did foretell of it all throughout scripture. Earlier on, he did say, look, there's something bigger and better coming. There's a new thing coming. And he had indicators in a hidden sense of what was yet to come and where it was going to come from. So I'm going to start over in Hebrews 6, verse 1. And this is what is being said there. Now, again, I'm going to give a little background history. Now this new thing has come into play. There's been this big shift in the spirit. For generations up until that time, everyone, the religious organization was under the law. They were under a form and a ritual that was lined out. Moses had those tablets brought down from the mount. They had form and ritual that they had to do in order to make amends for sin and purify the people the best they could using the tool and the format that they had at that time. So God says, okay, I'm going to do something new. And over in Hebrews 6 verse 1, It says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, what you've known up till now, you've got to leave this. Let's go on unto perfection. In this sense, I looked at it means maturity. Let's grow up now. Let's go into a bigger, more mature, fuller walk and movement of God here. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works or of faith towards God. We're going to move into something even greater of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. See, we'll do all of those things if God permits it. That is a huge statement right there. The first time I read that, it jumped off the page. Always remember, people of God overseers, ministers and providers for the flock, those that nurture new souls coming in and have to guide the sheep faithfully. I mean faithfully. Remember that nothing is going to happen unless God permits it. Jesus taught us that while he was here. He always deferred to the Father. He Even when he left his life, He prayed for such as should be saved. See, he recognized the sovereignty of God the Father. He always deferred to him, and he knew the key to everything is it's his call. That's the bottom line. That's that fear of God, that reverence and respect for what is holy and the creator of all things. That is a very, very sound place to stand. So bearing in mind None of these things that were just spoken of will even happen because it said, I'm going to read number three again, and this will we do if God permit. Now, if he has permitted all of these things, you've repented, you've got a foundation of repentance from dead works, and you've got faith towards God, you've been baptized, you've had the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. You've got all of these things in play. You've got to continue in it. 
You don't just bada bing, bada boom. It's one shot thing. It's done. It's all over. I'm good to go. I can go do anything I want. Well, that kind of sounds like some of the religious organizations and their form and ritual that they have out there. And they never, ever bring you into a fully equipped state that moves forward from there. Jesus gave his life for it. So it's really important that you, number one, know what it is yourself. And number two, you know how to bring other people into it. For in verse four, it said, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Look, you've got to keep going forward. It doesn't mean you don't make mistakes or learn or grow along the way, but there's a constant moving forward. There's a constant renewing. There's a constant growth that goes on every day in the spirit. And you don't knowingly and willingly return back to those beggarly elements. You don't turn back and then figure that God's going to say, oh yeah, well, that's cool. Not if you've done it intentionally. For the earth, which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected. Okay, here's your qualifier here, overseers. You watch to see, after they've performed all these things, they've made all this overture to God. They've heard that good word. It's down in there. What are they bringing forth? Are they going forward in that good word that's been delivered to them? Are they going forward and keeping that vessel holy and keeping their vessel pure and clean? Or are they going back into the old ways and patterns and bearing thorns and briars? Going back and just carrying on in sin and embracing it. Are they bearing thorns and briars? It's going to be rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. All right. Look, if you're seeing them going back and doing all those things, you number one, you have an obligation to warn them. And if they're not aware of what they're doing and they realize it, that's one thing. But if they're openly doing it, knowing they shouldn't be doing it, they're nigh unto being cursed. And that end of that person is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation though we thus speak. So you're going to get two different kinds. And you have to watch and see, overseers, you've got to watch and see. You've got to have the heart and mind of God. I'm going to go through it again because you really, really need to enter into this mature stance before God. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. If they're going to bring good fruits, they're going to be blessed. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected. If they're just um, going back out there and having worldly behaviors, and that's what's manifesting through them, and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. You've got to be above that. And things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed towards his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to full assurance of hope unto the end. Now look, he's saying, look, you have got to grow up here. You've got to dig in and know your word. You've got to get in there and not just know your word, but live it. Live it and do it. Manifest it. Love one another. Have all those fruits manifested in your life. 
not the works of the flesh. And if all of a sudden you have a quickened moment and you realize, ah, that is a fleshly behavior, get rid of it. Don't continue in it. Get rid of it. He says, look, God, God sees you. He's a very faithful God. He's not going to forget your work and labor of love, which you've shown towards his name. And in that you've ministered to the saints and you do minister, people that have endeavored to get his name out there and minister to people. But when a more perfect thing is standing in front of you, follow after it, grab a hold of it, and become it, manifest it. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but follows of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You've got to follow the truth. All of a sudden, here's a group of people that have done everything they knew to do, but they were doing things that were not lining up with what God really desired. And he says, look, I see you, but here's a better thing. There's a better way to do it. Line up with it and be diligent to dig it out and know what it is. Don't just blow it off and say, nah, I'm going to do it my way because I like my way because I'm used to doing it. I've been doing it for years and getting away with it. Are you really? If God chose this hour to bring something new to you, like he did to the people back there, a new thing has been introduced to them. And he's saying, you can't keep doing the things the way you've been doing it because it generates sin. You've got to do it, not just try it, do it a whole new way. And you've got to be diligent to dig it out and assure that you're going to inherit the promise. All right. For when God made promise to Abraham, this is very telling here. When he made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. He found Abraham to be a faithful soul, had a pure heart. But there was no greater than Abraham there, so God swore by his own self, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. So here's this incredible blessing from God out on Abraham. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Again, there's a very telling statement. Do you know he had to endure some things? Even though God gave him that promise, he had to wait for it. He had to endure some things, but he did obtain it because God promised it to him. For men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Now, here's something very distinct here. God made an oath. Mm -hmm. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. See, if God's made an oath, God can't lie. He's not a man. He can't lie. Hold fast to that consolation. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Now, we're going to talk about that veil in a bit. There's a process of God here. He's lining it out to them. He says, look, we got to go, and we've got to get to that place that enters into that veil. Whither the forerunner is for us entered. It's where the forerunner for us has entered. Even Jesus made an high priest forever, not temporarily, forever after the order of Melchizedek. Whoa, Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? Now see, he isn't after the order of Abraham. Uh-uh. He says, this one that I've made the oath with 
is after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to go on into Hebrews 7, and we're going to find out who Melchizedek is. God is amazing. He will give you little clues along the way. Anybody that's had a deep personal interaction with God is going to see this interaction play out in their life. You're going to have him just give you little hints or a little vision here or a promise there or speak a word in your ear or it'll come alive in the scripture and you're going to go, oh Lord, and you hang on to that and watch by and by like Abraham did as you patiently endure, you're going to see that promise or that mystery unfold right in front of you because God is faithful and he's not a man that he can lie. He doesn't lie. So what God did through all of this playing out, he would give us little glimpses and hints. All right, so here's one of those glimpses and hints of what's to come. For this Melchizedek, who is he? He's king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. So here's Melchizedek. Abraham just had a great victory. He went to battle and he won. And there's Melchizedek meeting him along the way, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation. Now here's the interpretation of the name Melchizedek. And here's your eye-opening as to who Melchizedek manifested in a physical form, who he is. Interpreted, it means king of righteousness. So who's the king of righteousness? Think about it. And after that, also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Who's the king of righteousness and who's the king of peace? Well, it goes on to describe even further who he was. Without father, he had no father. Without mother, okay, he didn't have a father. He didn't have a mother. He's the king of righteousness and the king of peace without descent. So he has no descent, neither beginning of days. So he was never born, nor end of life. And he never died, but made like unto the son of God. Abideth the priest continually. Now, those are very telling statements. What it is, is back there, while Abraham was on this earth, before Christ had been born of a virgin, he actually manifested in physical form in the shape of Melchizedek. Because at that time, there wasn't anybody holy enough. You notice how God had to make a promise by his own self to Abraham because there was no one above Abraham. So God had to raise up someone to receive those holy tithes from Abraham, that holy tithe, that 10th part. And Melchizedek, the son of God, Christ concealed. He was hidden. And yet there he was. It was a precursor and an indicator of what was to come. And he was referred to then uh, from that point on. And you'll see it through the scripture. It'll talk about Melchizedek. Well, that was the first appearing of Christ in a physical form there. And his priesthood is continual. It isn't temporary. It's continual. Now let's go on. Now consider how great this man was upon whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law. All right. That is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. Now, see, there's an order that was lined up according to the flesh, that natural law, that natural working. And God says, well, look, I'm going to do a shifting here. There's going to be a working that doesn't follow along the natural law. I'm going to send somebody who comes directly from me, the spiritual. So the Levites, the sons of Levites, they're not the ones that receive tithe here. 
The Son of God did. He manifested and received it. Because the Levites, they have a commandment to take the tithes of the people according to the law. That's the Old Testament. And it's according to their brethren. Though they came out of the loins of Abraham, they were the ones that are appointed to go forward from there into the new thing in the New Testimony. And it's going to talk about why here. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. So there's Christ in the form of Melchizedek appearing on the face of the earth. And he didn't come from a descent of Abraham. He came directly from God the Father. And he received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. He blessed Abraham. That's a blessing of blessings. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Isn't that something? So a one that was better than Abraham had to come and receive those tithes and blessed him. And here men that die receive tithes. Now the Levites, they're men that are born of a woman and uh, mother and father, and they live a life and they're appointed to their office according to lineage, and then they die. And then another one takes his place and then he does the job and then he dies. All right, well here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. So, and as I may so say, Levi also who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. Oh my goodness. Anybody want to know if you were with God before you came here? Or if you were down there waiting for your time to come forward and were considered by God to be a viable living soul? Well, here it is right here. And as I may so say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Isn't that something? Levi was yet in the loins of his father. He was an itty bitty sperm. He hadn't even come into this earth yet, and yet God considered him as having received tithes through that lineage, by appointment and by promise of God. For he was in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Now look, it's going into having to explain to these people, look, you've gone through this form and this ritual, you've followed after the law, you've done things a certain way, you've had a certain pattern, you've had a certain teaching, but there's something better that's going to come along. This teaching, it's a lesser form. It's a lesser form. There's a greater form because this lesser form is going to perpetuate sin. It, it can't do away with it. And we're going to read more and find out why. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek? Melchizedek, no beginning, no end, and not be called after the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Now, they're saying, look, Jesus came out of a different, he came from the order of Melchizedek. He came from a different place, people. Things are changed. It's going to be done a new way. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. Well, this priest comes directly from God. 
This priest is a spiritual one who has no beginning and no end. We lined that out earlier. Who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment. You have to do this. Stand up, sit down, pray, 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 sing now. All these different, okay, you've done this wrong. You do this penance. You do that. All these things to make them wash your sin away. You do this and that. All these forms and rituals. All of these things that they did. All these atonements that they did. All right. There's a whole new way of doing things now. Another priest who is not made after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. This one has no end. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So this priest will never end. He's always there. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. All right, here we are. That old stuff, it's not going to do away with your sin. It's imperfect. It can't make you perfect. It can't keep you clean. It's going to have to be repeated and repeat and repeat. The repeat cycle will just make your head spin. So God's going to do a new thing. He's already done a new thing. He is here now. And in verse 20, and in as much as not without an oath, he was made priest. So this one wasn't appointed by man through a lineage and a man-made appointment that was temporary that would last during their lifetime and then the next one would take his place. This one was made by an oath. What did we say about an oath? For those priests were made without an oath. Those priests earlier, the ones that were coming from Levi, they were made without an oath. And who does that oath come from? It comes from God. They were appointed by commandment through a lineage that was temporary, that had to be replaced and repeated. But this one, this one, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, the Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That means that priesthood is in existence to this very day. It was in existence then, and it is in existence today. And, it's, and they uh, were told about it over in Psalms 110, verse 4, King David. He said, The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It was prophesied of him coming. And he says, look, guys, he's here. There's a better way to be doing things. So don't be left behind. Don't be continuing in sin. And don't be doing that which is imperfect and what can't make you mature in God and grow up in God. By so much, in verse 22, by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. They had the Old Testament. In comes the new. Here's Jesus. What Jesus has done by going to the cross, going down in the nether parts, raising up again, having absolute victory over death, and then ascending up to the throne of God above all the heavens. And then on the day of Pentecost, coming back in the form of the Holy Ghost. Oh my goodness, what a magnificent thing. Now we all have access to a priest that was given to us by oath that has the power and authority and all things from God. Let's read some more. All right, he's coming by a better testament, the New Testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. There were so many of them because they, they would live and die, live and die. But this man, this man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. His priesthood doesn't change. It's constant to this very day. 
wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You have access. When you've done those things that were lined out, you've gotten baptized, you've gotten filled with the Holy Ghost, you repented of your sins, you go down into the watery grave of baptism for the remission of sins, all of it's washed away. You come up in newness of life. That new life is that life in Christ Jesus and receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. You have that advocate with the Father. You have a priest that's above any working thing on this earth or any fleshly vessel on this earth. You don't have to go to man. You go directly to God. And that's something, what he's done. That's why he had to do what he had to do. He had to bring in something that wouldn't end, that wasn't broken. It didn't work. It wasn't full. It wasn't complete. Now he brought that complete working in and people are having to get to understand it. It's something new. They got to get their footing. So they're telling them. Mm -hmm. All right. So he's unchangeable. And here you go. Wherefore is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. So don't stop at some heavenly place. Go where Jesus is, on the right hand of the Father. Go above all the heavens. He ascended above all heavens and is on the right hand of God in his throne. Go there. And as we read more, you're going to see there's different places. All right who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Now the priests in the Old Testament, they had to constantly, first they had to have sacrifices to clean their sins from them. And then they had to do sacrifice. Once they were cleaned, they would go in and do sacrifice for the people to alleviate their sins. But Jesus he says, okay, this is a better thing that's coming now. God says he gave them an inkling it's coming. They were waiting for it. Here it is. It's here. Mm -hmm. He offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity. They're fleshly. They're earthly. But the word of the oath, the oath and promise of God, which was since the law, since the law was done, maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. Now that oath, he says, I'm going to do something even better here. I'm going to make this even better. Okay, let's go down now to Hebrews 9. We're going to go into this a little more. Hebrews 9 verse 1. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Now, remember I said there's more than one level? Well, here it is where it was lined out under the law. And again, there are priests that were appointed through lineage and they would live and they would die. So they were imperfect. They were in this earthen vessel. And at that time, the earthen vessel did not have the infilling of the Holy Ghost. So it wasn't a complete state or a perfect state. All right. And so they had a worldly sanctuary, which means it was made with hands of man. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary. So they had a, an area which is called the sanctuary. And in there they had the candlestick, the table and the show bread. And after the second veil, and then you go in deeper. And what God's telling you today, keep going deeper. Don't stop at that outer chamber. Go in deeper. And there's a second veil there the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. See, so there's a place where it's got a setup there, but going in deeper, and that's the veil that was rent when Jesus' spirit went back to God. When he gave up the ghost, the veil in the temple was rent in two. Now, in behind this veil, into the deeper area, which had the golden censer, 
and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid roundabout with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. Now well, here it is. Here's those deep, very anointed things of God. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, now there was an ordained time for those things. There was a time when those things had to be produced and they carried in it the Spirit of God. There was, they were holy. All right. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. So the priests, they could go in and out into that first tabernacle. And they did the service of God that was lined out for them. These certain rituals, okay, a form and a ritual, a little procedure that they did. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year. Okay, so he had to be, I mean, he was the upper echelon of this appointment by man, but he was the only one that could go in there. And he could not go in there, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Now, these errors that it's talking about of the people are sins that are committed in ignorance. They didn't realize they were doing it and there was a, a you know an appeasement made for it, but it had to be a blood sacrifice. Now, this is all worldly procedures, all done in a form and a ritual and they're touching and handling and doing all these different things. The Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. Okay, it wasn't made. That entrance wasn't made yet, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. So that first outer tabernacle was standing. It had to be done away with. A whole new thing had to come in. And that veil, the reason it rent is because all of a sudden, by Jesus being crucified on the cross, going through all the things I repeated earlier, that renting of the veil opened entrance that was never there before in a whole new way, which was a figure of time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect, couldn't be perfect as pertaining to the conscience, the soul that soul, that purifying it, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. So they went through all these forms and rituals and they had to go through the priest and they had to go through this one and that one had to make amends for you and do all of this. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkled the unclean, those brute beasts sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ? Now look, these sacrifices were brute beasts. A brute beast isn't pure. It isn't holy. It couldn't do that complete remitting of any of the sin. It fell short. So there had to be a sacrifice, and that sacrifice was one without spot. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot? He was innocent. There was no sin. There was no fleshly working. There was no evil in him at all. He was without spot to God. He offered himself pure and holy to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Brute flesh, an imperfect thing, cannot clean the soul of man. Form and ritual 
and those ordinances of man that they've lined out, you do this, you do that, and you repeat this and all the rest of it will not purge away your sin. It's imperfect. It can't do it because that sacrifice is imperfect. That ritual is imperfect. But God did something greater. He had a sacrifice and Jesus came here and he overcame everything on the face of the earth. He healed. He raised the dead. He showed us an example of how to live a life without sin. And then he made a way for us to go into that inner room, that inner place with God, clean. Because you can't go in there if you're not clean. You can't enter in. You will not get into the kingdom of God if you are not clean. So you have to be clean. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, the old law, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance, not a temporary inheritance, an eternal an eternal inheritance is now offered to mankind. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. See, Jesus had to lay certain things down. He laid an example down, but he had to fulfill it all. And then it was loosed. That's why those disciples, they went through a process while all of this was unfolding, but when the fullness was come and they received that infilling of the Holy Ghost, they were able to go and testify fully, completely, with all of the understanding that they needed to have because they had now access from and through the Lord, access to God the Father in that inner chamber through the Holy Ghost and that mediator, Christ Jesus. It's really something, what he actually accomplished there. So now that he's gone, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats and with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people. He'd sprinkle them, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Those heavenly things had to have a better sacrifice. For you to be able to go and become that, you had to have that better sacrifice. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. See, these priests, they went into those inner chambers that were made by the hand of man. They were buildings. They were natural structures. But Jesus gave us access into eternity. He gave us access and entered into that holy place. Mm -hmm. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with natural hands, with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not something. There he is. He went through all of this so that he could do all of what he had to do so we can get right there, have access to God nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. See, a priest, the natural thing, it offers blood of others. It, it's not their own sacrifice. It falls short. It stays here and they have to repeat it over and over and over. Jesus did it once. It only had to be done one time and it's done. Done deal, done. Mm -hmm. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared 
to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. There it is. You got one shot, one life, one opportunity here. And after you leave off this physical carcass, you go and there is the judgment. And you stand before God and you will be repaid accordingly. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. You die once under that watery grave of baptism. That's it there. When you leave this carcass, this human flesh form, you're going to go directly into where Jesus is. You're going to meet him there. As long as you continue steadfast, bearing that purged fruit, that holy fruit of the Holy Ghost and continue steadfast, pressing into him every day, taking on more and more and more and manifesting his ways. Dig in and search it out. Be diligent. Know what his ways are. Press in for it. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Live in it. And you will be it and you will enter into it. So we're going to go on now into Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. That old law, the Old Testament, the religious form and ritual cannot make you perfect. For then would they have not ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. It's repeated over and over and over and over. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins because they're imperfect. Something imperfect cannot take away sin. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. For then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. There is the most important key to it all. He says, I came to do the will of God. I came to do what he wants me to do. When you access that advocate and you access the Lord and you know and appreciate the sacrifice that he made for you and you've entered into that holy place with him, the only thing you need to do is say, Lord, what is your will? And that is what I will do. And then do it. But you have to be sincere. You have to be sincere. Above when he said, sacrifice and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I am come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Jesus had to come and bring a new thing in, hence the New Testament. Don't stop under the old. Don't stop at that point. Don't stay under the old. There's many of religious organizations. They're based and founded on form and ritual. They're keeping you under that old form of the law. They keep you bound to a priest or someone that's appointed by man. Don't go there. Go directly to the God and creator of all things through Jesus Christ. He made that sacrifice for you. He made that opening for you to be able to go right there. And he's established that. This is what they're doing. He's established it. Come on, come forward, come forward. By the which will, we are sacrificed through the offering of the body of Christ once and for all. He did it once and for all. We don't have to go on the repeat cycle. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. They do it to this day. So if you see that going on, go for that greater sacrifice, enter into that new thing. But this man, speaking of Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins for 
ever sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. You stand there, you persevere. Abraham had to, he had to wait until that promise. He had to endure. You stand and you endure until all your enemies, every part of that fleshly makeup is under your feet. You keep pressing into the Lord. You keep praying to him in that Holy Ghost that's given to you, that holy language that gives you that access to that inner throne and that mediator. And you will get your answers and you will know how to walk forward every day in your walk. Just continue to press in. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Forever. Not just temporarily while you're here. So you feel good for a few moments and then you go back and do something where you have to go and try and get it cleaned up again. Round and around the cycle you go. No. You will forever, when you enter in, you will be clean. You will be clear. You will be holy. You're sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Do you notice how he says he's going to write your laws in your hearts? Remember how Moses had to go up and he had it written on tablets? And they carried it around in that ark. They carried it around. And it was in that inner court, that second inner court. Guess where it is now? When you have the infilling of the Holy Ghost, it is written in your heart. Now the law... Being under the law, that Old Testament, that old nature, that old way, the law is for the lawless. But those that have entered into that deeper walk with Christ, that law is written in them. It's inside of them. They won't break it. They don't have to follow after a bunch of form and ritual because it's in them to guide them. And it's in their minds, their soul, their thought process. Because their mind... When they pray in tongues, they get the mind of God and they'll get that perfect leading. And they're not going to enter into sin because God's going to guide them. God doesn't guide somebody into sin. He guides them out of it. He removes them from it. And he's written it in there. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. See that entrance that's been given you? That veil is rent and you get to go right in through that holy blood that was sacrificed, that pure sacrifice that there was no sin. Sin is done away with. Yep, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, his flesh made away. And having an high priest over the house of God. Now Jesus rules over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's the water of the anointed word of God. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Remember how I was explaining that at the beginning? How you help each other forward into those good works. If somebody doesn't understand the workings of these things, bring them into the fullness of it. Bring them into the understanding of it and watch and see if they take it on. If they receive it with gladness and they take it on and they start manifesting it and walking in it, you know God's hand is on them. If they don't and they maintain their own ways, you know that they've rejected that. Get your discernment up and know how to read a situation with the eyes of God. They'll go on into it if God permit. Is God permitting it? He knows their heart. He knows what's going on underneath the surface. 
He knows their thoughts. He knows the very in thoughts and intents of their heart. It's scripture. Look it up. It's there. So get to know God's heart. Get to know his mind and watch to see the proof of everything. Watch to see the proof. So we're provoking to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now there's many, many ways to gather together. Sometimes, you know, if you're tucked away, you've got to have created ways to gather with people, but we have access to technology where we can. So touch base with each other, keep yourself built up, but the first number one thing is touch base with God, touch base with the Lord, get that holy conversation going. And then when you do reach out to the brethren, you'll have something to say and gather together in the beauty of it. For if we sin willfully, willfully, see there's the key right there. After that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Like I say, watch and see, see the fruit of them, see the proof of them. Even the priests in the Old Testament, when they gave atonement, it was for people that sinned unawares. But if you've got somebody that knows the difference and is openly and willingly going out and do it, there's no more sacrifice then. They've literally done despite to the spirit of grace. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Look, the Lord God is not mocked. You can't play act. You can't pretend. God sees every thought. He sees every movement. He sees every intent. He sees everything that's going on in the dark recesses and in the corners. You can try and hide, but there's no hiding from God. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. See, there were ones that they were given the law of Moses and if they despised it, how do you despise it? By rejecting it and not doing it. By maintaining your own approach to it and your own desire and your own way of doing things and then making excuses for it and trying to convince somebody it's all right. Trying to draw others into the pit with you. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Look at what Jesus went through to give us this grace. Look at what Jesus went through to give us this inroad to God, to give us this holy gift and this incredible promise, and then to thumb your nose at it by knowingly and willingly walking against his commandments and fighting against some openly, some try and do it covertly. But if you're doing that, oh my gosh, especially if you know better, it's different if you don't know better. But when you do know better and you go ahead and press your own thing and you do despite unto the spirit of grace, for we know him that hath said, vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know it's more fearful to fall out of them? Oh my Lord. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst thou were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. Now you're going to go through opposition. There's opposition out there in the world. They're telling them about it. Look at what they faced at that time. Look at what they did to Christ himself. They crucified him. Look at how they treated the Christians at that time when they followed after the Lord and they got the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I mean, they were scourged. They were beaten. They were ridiculed. 
They were afflicted. They were falsely accused. I mean, conspiracies arisen up against them when they were innocent. I mean, it's really something what is faced here. But here it goes into verse 34. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourself that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. There's the bottom line. Is there anything in this world that's going to be more valuable to you than your holy, purged, cleaned soul? That's the only thing that's going to enter in before God. There is not a single solitary thing in this life that you're going to take out with you other than your soul. Not a thing. So is there anything in this life worth giving that up for? Or any kind of pleasure, temporary pleasure that you think you're going to enjoy? Is your way more important to you than God's way? Because your way will end. It's going to hit a, a dead end somewhere along the way. It will end usually in a wreck of some sort. But you're not going to take a thing out with you. You're going to go out with what you've obtained here. All right, cast not away therefore your confidence, which have great recompense of reward. Don't cast it away. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Boy, is that a statement. You know, if you're going through things in this life and you're having to bear things at this life, even if you have people that you've loved that have turned and walked away and you've had to keep your eyes steadfast and keep going forward, you can't look to the left or the right. You've got to just keep going forward with the Lord. Don't cast away your confidence in God, which have great recompense of reward. You're going to have an incredible reward. Go for the reward. For ye have need of patience after that ye have done the will of God. You see, you need to do the will of God, not of man, not of your own flesh. Do the will of God that ye might receive the promise. You might receive the promise as long as you do the will of God for yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Trust me, he will come. One way or another, the Lord will come. For now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Don't quit. Don't draw back. Don't go back. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Keep looking. Keep believing. Keep pressing forward. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Just stand fast, press forward. No matter what comes at you, no matter what tries to tear you off this way or that way into something that you know is wrong, keep going forward, keep pressing in. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You will one day see the face of God and every knee will bow. Every knee. I've had visitations. I've seen the Lord has shown me different ones that I've known in this life and have gone on and I've seen their reaction when they stood before God. Some good, some not so good. And the one constant that I noted in it is the ones that fell short, they did not have a single solitary thing that they could answer to God to justify their acts. Not one thing. Not one thing. So who can stand against the God of all creation? No one. So stand fast with him. And remember, your faith is now. It's his now faith. Not down the road faith. Not eventual faith. Not weak faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Keep your hope steadfast in God, the evidence of things not seen. You may not see the full evidence of what you're holding on for in faith, but just know that you will receive that promise from God when you hold fast, keep your eyes fixed on him. He will see you through. And remember, watch for those things that are his will. Ask for those things that are 
his will. Don't try and manipulate or change. Just stand fast in his will. Jesus did, when he had to go to the cross, he did inquire of the Lord, can this be done any other way? But nonetheless was his final answer, Lord, thy will be done. Father, I realize, yeah, we got to do this. I'm going to do it your way. Follow that example. Stand steadfast. The Lord bless you all and give you a glorious day with great enlightenment and a whole new vantage point to continue steadfast in. Bless God. Love you all dearly. Road to righteousness tends to be long. So keep your love on, on. Crack yourself a smile or sing a song. But I keep my love on. Man or woman, man or woman who is so down, try. Keep your love on. Sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the one true God, keep your love on. Keep your love on, child. Let it shine bright, bright, bright. Keep your love on, 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 on. Don't let it die, don't let it die, don't let it die, no. It's a simple message, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. I keep my love on, if I were you. And I'm a simple singer, but my heart and mind are strong. I keep my love on, yes I do. You must dream in color, ask your questions, cause life does not give honorable mentions. Thinking more than two dimensions In case your tightrope loses tension I'll be here if ever you need a friend mm, You know I will And I'll be here too To lend a friendly 